Alright, what's up y'all? This is Ian Edwards with the Soccer Comic Rant and Happy New Year. Shout out to allthingscomedy.com. Uh, go to the website, check out the other podcasts with the other comics that they have. They got some great comics with some great podcasts. And they're also doing a show at Largo. I think it's January 14th, but go to the website and check that out. Don't quote me on the date. And get some, get your tickets. Bill Burr's on the show, Al Magico, and a bunch of other people. Uh, I'm glad you all made it. It's 2014, and it's the year of a World Cup. We are in a World Cup year, and as a soccer fan, all you live for all your life is the World Cup. At least I do. And I'm happy to potentially be alive to witness another one. But before we get to the World Cup, there are tons of games to be played. There are league titles to be decided. There are Copers, European Championships, FA Cups, and exhibition games. And one of those games this week was the FA Cup game between Spurs and their hated rivals, Arsenal. Spurs haven't won a title in so long. The only thing they've won is the pleasure of Arsenal not winning the title in years also. That's how much they detest each other. That the only thing they win is the others one losing. So I'm covering this one as one of the first games for the first episodes of the Soccer Comic Rant for January. If you haven't been following Spurs, Spurs has an interim coach, Tim Sherwood. Uh, the asshole who started the season as the Spurs coach, Phyllis Boas, is gone. And uh, I'm only calling him an asshole because I want you to know that I don't like him. That's the only reason. Besides that, he's probably a cool guy. I just don't believe that he is. And anyway, he's gone, so it really doesn't matter. Also, uh, another major plot point of this match is that Adebayor, a former Arsenal player, was playing for the arch enemy Spurs. And if you follow football, you know this is bigger than a basketball wives fake plot. This is major. So the game started like a derby. Both teams, who are pretty good passers, seems to have thrown that part of their game completely out the window. And it was like watching a group of eight-year-old adults play. But that only lasted for like four minutes, thank God. Uh, Christian Eriksen of Spurs had the first real chance, but the keeper did well and didn't react till the shot was taken and blocked it. Uh, most forwards on keeper goals go in when the forward fakes the keeper into making a move before he really shoots. This time, the keeper didn't flinch, and Eriksen had to make up his mind and shoot, after which the keeper reacted correctly. So well played, keeper. You did your thing on that play. Then Walcott forced Loris, the Spurs keeper, to make a save after a breakaway. Uh, it seemed like an impossible shot by Walcott, but the caliber of save that Loris made improved the value of Walcott's effort. Loris dived full out and pushed it wide, and it looked like he had to make a real save, meaning Walcott shot from far away too far away as a matter of fact and out of his range was actually a real shot 
it was realer than it looked when he took it at the time. So keeper pulled off a great save. Uh, Walcott was alone forward in the Gunners' formation. Uh, Arsenal started the game playing a 4-5-1. Personally, I never believe formations, though. Like, I think coaches say, that's what we're going to play, but tell the players to change that shit as soon as they kick off the ball. I mean, why would you stick to something when the other team believes that's what you're going to do? When you can change it and then throw them off and make them have to adjust their adjustment to your fake formation. They probably do that anyway, but if they don't and you're a coach, you should. You should say, I'm going to play a one one nine, and then fuck it. Start the game with, at the kickoff with that and then change to a four whatever you want to do. Confuse the people. In the, during the game, uh, Wilshire lost the ball in the midfield and then he went down hoping that the ref would blow a foul. And when the ref didn't blow, he stays down, hoping that the Spurs, who know, now have the ball, will stop the game in the nature of fair play to see if he was all right. I'm like, yo, get up. Wilshire, you should know that's never going to happen in an Arsenal-Spurs derby. Get your ass up. This ain't an FA Cup match against Burnley. This is Spurs. These dudes hate you. And if one of them does kick out the ball and stop the game to see if you're okay, then he won't be able to ride back on the team bus, much less ever play for Spurs again. So just get your ass up and keep playing. The referee didn't blow the whistle. You're out of your goddamn mind. Uh, then Carzola took a shot that was that I considered to be out of his range. And that was like Arsenal's fourth long-range shot, which is very unusual for them. They get closer than a proctologist does to a butthole before they usually take a shot. And in this game, they're taking like three or four, like just from way out the box. So Arsenal scored when Gnabry combined with Santa Carzola, who scored from a more traditional Arsenal range, meaning he scored from inside the box. That's the way they usually do it. They work the ball all the way into the box, and slot it past the keeper for a close-range Arsenal shot slash goal. And uh, it went in, and it was way better than those long-range unmanned drones that they were launching into the faces of the fans. You know, those shots that they were taking earlier, those are like desperation shots. This was a typical gunner's goal. This clash was definitely going to come down to a battle of good midfields, I know it's cliche sometimes when people say, hey, this is going to come down to a battle of the midfields. But this is not a cliche when it comes down to talking about Arsenal versus Spurs because both teams have pretty good midfields. Uh, Delembe from Spurs seemed like extra comfortable on the ball early. Uh, several times he would shield the ball and ride off a tackle before passing it. And he was impressing me. He just looked super comfortable. Uh it made me keep an eye out to see if he was going to have one of those extraordinary games because usually those happen when a player gets really comfortable in a zone like he seemed to be. When Walcott took a free kick after Cosola took a free kick earlier, it made me realize that Arsenal was playing the game without a dead ball specialist on the field. Like These two dudes ain't known for their free kicks and they took the last two 
Arsenal free kicks. Like Arsenal was playing with a vitamin gold deficiency that needed to be addressed. You can't have a team without a set-piece player on the field. That's like blowing opportunities to score that you'll probably live to regret. You're playing a rival, a Spurs. You don't want to lose to them, even though it's the FA Cup, and you might not care about it as much as other teams because you got other shit going on, other championships to buy for. But you can't start have a starting team without a dead ball specialist. That's bananas. Like, you know, Juve always has one. They got Pirlo. Like, Manu has Rooney. And they can go to Van Persie. You know, the great teams have somebody who can take a set piece. You know, when Zidane played, that was his job. Like, Real Madrid, they got Ronaldo. He's going to take the set piece. And if he's not there, then at least they have Bale, Xabi Alonso, even... Sergio Ramos. So that's why Spurs, even if you get into the Champions League, you're in trouble, you know. So Daldo scraped one past the goal in the 44th minute on a well-worked play between him and Kyle Walker. And then a few minutes after that, the half was over, and we went back to the broadcast studio with Ledley King, who probably got injured while he was sitting behind the studio commentating desk because he's so injury-prone. Arsenal's midfield started the second half blazing. They There was a lot of good in to play between Rosicki, Carzola, and Wilshire chipped in, and they was kind of balling out there. Uh, Lennon did what he does sometimes during the game for Spurs, and I've complained about this before. He just disappeared. I mean, he evaporated, and I don't get it. Like He and Walcott do this thing where they play deadbeat dads on the soccer field. Sometimes they show up to pick up the kid, and the kids have a great time with them. And then other times, for whatever reason, they don't. And they just leave the kids on the porch, meaning the fans, like, looking like, how come Walcott and Lennon didn't show up today? They said they would. They were in the lineup. They made a promise. Where are they? And then, to make things worse for Spurs, Rosicki scored after Danny Rose committed football suicide by not getting rid of a ball. Rosicki stole it from him and rolled off a tackle from a speedy Kyle Walker and slotted it past the keeper to make it 2-0 to the Arsenal. You just have to get rid of those balls, Danny. You can't do some shit like that. Danny Rose made that mistake in front of the world. In front of the world against the most hated team that his team plays against. It was like shitting on yourself in class and having to walk around school all day knowing everybody knows that you shit yourself, but both of you aren't saying anything. That's how he played the rest of the game, with egg on his face. I was happy for Rosicky, though, because he's been through a ton of injuries, uh, probably even more than Ledley King has ever had. Like Those guys, they can have an injury-prone race to see who has had the most injuries. Those dudes just get injured. But knock on wood, Rosicky, you've been injury-free most of the season, and you've been showing that it was you were worth being kept all this time. And Led the King, I don't usually get on injured players. I just want to make that Led the King joke that Led the King could get injured sleeping. That's how injury-prone he is. But he was a great player, and I always feel bad for players that never get to prove how good they were because of something that's out of their control. So... 
It's whatever. So two goals up and 20 minutes in, Wenger takes Wilshire out the game and puts in Flamini. And I mean, he might as well shore it up, lock it down, and uh, plug any holes in the midfield. And with 20 minutes left anyway, you felt like you just didn't believe that Spurs was going to come back. It just didn't feel like it. Then a few minutes later, Wenger took out Arteta and brought Ozil in. And finally, they have a set-piece player on the field. It was funny. Like both teams played. They're both arch enemies, but nobody started a real set-piece ta- piece taker. It was like, don't you all want to win this match? Then Spurs messed up again at the back. And Arsenal could have gotten one more and made it 3 nothing if Walcott hadn't put the ball wide on his shot. But either way, Arsenal was up two. And then Walcott got injured and it looked like an entire mass unit was sent on the field to help him off. And uh, he looked really injured and it looked really bad. And it wasted a ton of time. And then as the mass unit of EMS workers like carried him on the gurney around the field. He sat up like he was a Roman emperor being carried around Rome and taunted the Spurs fans and showed them what the score was. And then the game was pretty much over. The game was over in the 70th minute when Rosicki scored that goal. You just could see the heart leave Spurs. And this was a wrap. So speaking of big games this year, the Italian league started with the big-ass game of big-ass games. Juventus versus Roma. This is the big one in the Italian league. Because if Roma lose, and I know it's early, but I feel if they lose today, they have lost the race for the Scudetto, and it would be over. They have a chance to slow, or they had a chance to slow Juve down, and they had and should have taken it. You can't let a team with a killer instinct written all over them like Juve off the hook when you have an opportunity like this. And it was just a huge game. And you couldn't have started the year with a bigger match in Italian football if you go by the history of both these teams and the positions that they are in at the table. The Italian league is a two-horse race, and these are the two horses. Uh, This is an amazing match. It had players, like it had Gervinho, Tati, Pirlo, Pogba, Tevez, Vidal, and just more people that I can name. And I like players on both sides of the semicircle, so I was definitely going to sit down and consume every pass, tackle, and shot of this one. Uh, coming into the game, Roma had the stingiest defense in Europe. They're the goal Nazis. No Happy New Year for you. That was their style. I think they'd only let in seven goals in the league. So Juventus, they've been pretty they've done a pretty good job of scoring. Like they started two pretty decent goal scorers and they had two more on the bench. And you know, we're gonna see it was gonna be a match of wills. Uh for the first twelve minutes of the match, Roma had more of the ball and Juventus just dropped deep and respected them. Uh I guess they didn't want to get caught on the counter, which is what Roma has been doing to people. I mean, why go for a win when a tie would keep Roma at bay with the same amount of points they started the game with in the table? You know what I mean? 
So a tie is almost like a win. And then you just go on and you win your other games against those other poo-putt teams in the Italian league. Well, at least that's what I thought their strategy was till Tevez worked some wizardry in the Roma box, hooked up with Vidal, and who slotted a pass by the keeper. And before you could blink, one nothing Juve. And they had Roma exactly where they wanted them. And I guess Juve was just warming up while Roma was passing that ball around, and they got warm, and they just struck, and it was on. Uh, then Roma started boxing the ball around and getting in the box of Juve with some ticket-taka-style passes, and they got a few shots off and made Buffon have to make a few saves. And on one of the times or instances when they got into the Juve box, two of the Juve defenders got kind of mixed up and confused, and they had to clear a ball desperately, and that was around the 20th minute mark. And then Roma just pinned Juve in their half like kidnapped victims being shoved into a cellar. Every time they tried to get out, Roma would shove them back in their closet and say, stay in there, you're our prisoner. And they stayed on them and they pressed them and they tried to get a goal. It was a good entertaining first half. Roma was styling. And when Juve made forays into the Roma area, they put together some good pass combinations. So it was a good display of skill to witness, but the first half ended one nothing. Then in the second half, Pinochi of Juventus got onto the end of a Pirlo free kick and slid it into the net. It was a typical defender's goal, and I don't know who was on him because nobody was on him. He was wide open as if no one in a Roma jersey believed that he had legs. They acted like professionals who'd never seen a defender score a goal before. I mean, the same team who doesn't have a leading scorer like Roma because they have several people who have scored goals and some of those several people are defenders. They ha Roma has defenders who have four goals on the season. So how do you not mark the other team's defender? What do you think? Your team is the only team that has defenders who can score? This is completely preposterous. You're down to nothing. You're on the road. You're in the belly of the beast. And after that, I just didn't believe Roma could come back and win the game, even though they had 40 minutes left. I was like, this is a wrap. This is over. And not only was this game a wrap, the Scudetto was a wrap. To me, this was the Serie A title being lost to Juventus right here in this game today. So now, not only are Juve two goals up, but now they start to dominate the play. They got another free kick outside the Roma box when Vidal went down to the ground claiming he was pushed. Personally, the ref should have just kept it playing on, but he blew the whistle. I couldn't stop him. I'm just watching through my computer. There's nothing I could do. Uh, Pirlo took the free kick, and lucky for the Roma keeper, he made a comfortable save. It was no big deal. Game goes on. Then De Rossi confirmed my Roma giving up suspicion when he got a red card in the 74th minute. Now they're down two goals and a man. Tati had already been subbed out of the game right before that. So this game was definitely a wrap. And then Castan of Roma got a red card for handling the ball on the goal line to stop a goal. 
like he thought he must have been Luis Suarez and they were playing Ghana or something in the World Cup. So Juve got a penalty and Vucinic scores against his old team who now only has nine men on the field. Here's the problem. The problem is Roma fell apart and real champions don't fall apart. What happened to Roma today isn't in the Juve DNA. They don't know how to fuck up like this. And this is why they already have won the Scudetto and they will win the Scudetto this year. Even if you gave all the players of Juve a book called Throwing Away the Scudetto for Dummies, they wouldn't even understand it and they wouldn't even know how to do it. I knew at the beginning of the season that Roma didn't have the personnel to win the Scudetto. But after the season started, I did get caught up in the hype and believed that they could just win or hope that they would just win. But this loss today slapped me back into reality. And I know you're never supposed to say never, but I'll say it and hope Roma proves that I should never say it. Congratulations, Juve, on winning the Scudetto today. Uh, Roma lost for the first time this season, and Juve keeps their 100% home record going for the season. And that's my uh, coverage of the Serie A. I mean, there's some games on Monday, but who cares now? The other teams are so far behind, it's just, it just doesn't even matter. I don't see Juve breaking down. You know, they might maybe tie some games here and there and not get the full three points. But they're, they got bench. They got forwards. You know, they, they're just doing it right now. They're just doing it. They just got better teams than the rest of the teams in the Italian league. Syria. So, and they got young players. The only, the only hope for the other teams is that teams from other leagues with more money buy Juve's players in the transfer window. That's the only way that can weaken them. Like, if, if I couldn't afford a Juve player and I'm an Italian team and I want Juve to lose players, I would take the money that I had and give it to a team outside the Italian league that wanted to buy a Juve player. I would give it to them so that they could put it with the money that they already have and afford to buy a Juve player so that Juve would sell the player, weaken their team, and I'd have a better chance of catching up to them. Uh, so I'm going to swing over to the La Liga. haven't seen uh, Barca play in a minute. There's just so many games and so many things going on, plus they had the break. So I wanted to check out what Barca was doing. So they played against Elche and uh, Tata Martinez, Barca's coach. Looks like he made a New Year's resolution to go shopping and dress like a real coach. Jesus, about time, Tata. He looks sharp on the sidelines. Best I seen him. Uh, someone got himself some fresh Christmas gear. He's the only coach in that league who needs a coach to show him how to dress. It's good to see Iniesta ball out there. He's one of my favorite players of all time, so it's great to see him. And, of course, Barca came out holding the ball and passing it around. And, of course, seven minutes into the game, Jordi Alba whips a ball cross field to Alexis Sanchez, who puts the ball into the back of the net. Happy New Year's, Elche. This is how Barca do. They are disrespectful and don't give a fuck about you or your year. Now, 
Eltrade didn't lay down at first, immediately. You know, they almost scored when they broke away on Barca and got into their box and hit the post. Uh, this was unfortunate for them that they only hit the post. They weren't going to get that many more chances, and they needed to put this one away. And literally, a minute later, Pedro made them pay by scoring. Now, no wonder Elche hadn't been to play at Barca in 25 years. If this is the type of hostile hospitality Barca's going to show them, if I was Elche, I'd get relegated so I wouldn't have to come here and be treated like this too. Elche just came to town to say hi, and Barca pounced on them and started pounding them. Barca was just having their way with Elche the entire first half, as if they had given them roofies. They just spread Elche's legs and fondled them all on camera. The first 20 minutes was meaner than an asshole dude uploading his ex-girlfriend's revenge sex tape. I mean, they just expose Elche all out there in public. And this game was like watching an adult beat up a kid. Like, at first it's fun, but after a few minutes, you're like, I don't know about the kid, but I've had enough watching this. And Barca fans are so ravenous. They don't care if their team is up. They just want Barca to keep piling on the pain. They have no mercy and never want the bleeding of a lesser team to stop. It's like hearing the crowd cheer during the Gladiator movie when the Emperor gave the Gladiator the okay to chop his opponent's balls off. They just kept cheering and demanded more punishment of Elche. They're heartless assholes, Barca fans. You are. You should see how excited they got when Elche got penalized for a back pass and they got a free kick in the Elche box. They acted like they weren't already two up on a struggling team. Like, I know Barca came into the game three points behind Athletic Madrid, but Jesus, show some mercy, man. Cesc Fabregas was involved in the first two goals for Barcelona, and he's been balling in between defending Messi off the field about his legal troubles. All I can say, Messi, is Cesc is a real friend. He's a better friend than your father is financial advisor. Then, as the game continued, Elche fouled Cesc to give up a penalty, which, lucky for Elche, Xavi missed. But Alexei Sanchez scored Barca's third goal after some good interplay with Pedro and some of the other Barca players. And then he got a fourth on a free kick. He got a hat-trick, and Barca looked good out there without Messi. And he was in the stands. And I'm sure he was just as entertained as the Barca fans because his team looked good out there today. So Barca troused Elche for nothing. And thank God for Elche that it wasn't worse because it could have been. So I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I want to give a special shout out to Eusebio, who represented the best of soccer and of Portugal because he has passed away. He was 71 years old. And I'm going to kind of dip through this New York Times article on Eusebio. Uh, soccer fans called in the Black Panther in the manner of the day because he was from Mozambique playing for Portugal. Uh, the thing about Eusebio was I always was a Pele man. And I've seen highlights of Eusebio, but, you know, for me there was only one, there was only room to root for one guy. And 
every big FIFA event, Yusebo would be there. And I never thought about why he was there. I knew he was big back in the day. I knew he did some things. But my mind was always on the greatness of Pele. You know, for me, it kind of overshadowed him for me. But then I started reading some articles since Yusebo died and I got the news. And I see not how... Not only how great a player he was, but the type of person he was. And I would have liked him a lot if I would paid more attention while he was alive. And every time I saw him at these events, I would have just reacted more if I had known. I know in the 1966 World Cup, he was the center of gravity in the tournament. It was his time, and he personally willed Portugal back from a shocking 3-0 deficit to North Korea and uh you know they came back he scored three or four goals and they beat North Korea 5-3. They were down like 3-0 in 25 minutes and then they came back. And I think they lost in the semifinals to England. And the game was 2-1, but he hugged the British defenders who defended him all day at the end of the game and they applauded till he ended the field and he always smiled and he was always honest uh and that was one of the things about him that uh, he was not only a good player, but his honesty. Uh, he was awarded the Balloon d'Or in 1965 as Europe's Player of the Year and twice won the Golden Boot in 68 and in 73 for being the top scorer in Europe. Eusebio played down racial and national politics, praised others, and denied stories about him that could have turned into legend. Uh, born in Mozambique on the 25th of January 1942 to an Angolan father, he belonged to Portugal because those countries were still considered colonies. The rumor grew that he had been kidnapped by Benfica, the great power of Portuguese soccer, until he signed the contract. But he said, these are lies, pure and simple. Eusebio said in a 2008 forum, that some people aren't honest, but me and my family are. My mother signed a contract with Benfica for 250 contos, which is around $1,700. And she insisted on a clause which read, if my son does not adapt, the money is deposited in the bank in Mozambique, and not one penny will be taken from it. And he also had return tickets just in case shit didn't work out. So they would have given the money back, and he would have flown back, Mozambique and just lived there and they would just dealt with what it was and that's the type of family and the type of honesty that came from I hope the same some uh just imagery bullshit I hope this is true because I would like it to be true but I don't like liking things that ain't true there was a reason why this guy was held in high esteem and uh why he was always revered and uh and even if that folklore stuff isn't true we could just go to his record. And this dude was fucking amazing. He was ranked one of the top 10 players of all time. And there's been a lot of good players. There's been a lot of players that I think amazing that aren't in the top 10. So after this podcast, I'm going to really go look up some Yusebo videos and check him out play. There's a, there's a, a video or a movie about the World Cup in 1966 that he's a prominent 
person in the video. I was like, I guess you see Bill's legacy is best seen and heard in the documentary Goal, the World Cup, issued in 1967. So y'all should go check that out. It was commentated by Brian Glanville. Check that out. I just want to give you an idea of this guy's scoring prowess. Yusebo had many great moments, scoring 679 goals in 678 official games, according to FIFA. Now, that is astounding. He has one more goal than games played. I don't really know anybody that has done that. That's how devastating this dude was, and this is a part of the reason why. Apparently, he wasn't an asshole, and he was an amazing goal scorer. Every time I saw him, he had a smile on his face, and people love smiles. You could be the devil and have smiles, but apparently this guy wasn't the devil. He was good. He scored goals, and he fucking smiled. So he had 679 goals in 678 games, and that is fucking phenomenal. Uh, he played for Benfica, won 11 league titles and five Portuguese cups in his time. Uh, he was declared a national treasure by the Portuguese leader, Antonio Salazar, so he could not leave the country to take a higher salary in Italy, as players do today. So that's big deal, being a national treasure. In 2008, Yusebo insisted Salazar was acting in national self-interest and not for his own enrichment. So, you know, he didn't trash Salazar. Uh, so... Sibo, well played player. Well played. Respect. So it's transfer season. So instead of going down the league tables, doing all that, I want to just talk about, I'm reading this article on uh, my football app, and it's about the top 10 transfers that would be crazy if they were made. But they're possible. Some of them are possible. They say that number two is outrageous and will never happen. But some of them are possible. So the first one, number 10, is Ryan Gold. And it, they say he's staying at Dundee United. But this is a talented wonder kid. And I've never seen him play. But I'm going to check him play out of that after this. Because they compare him to the best footballer in the world. Yes, Lionel Messi. Many of the top European teams have been tracking him. And I'm looking at a picture of him. And he looks young as shit. But... Now I'm very interested. So he's one of the guys that somebody might buy if he's that good. But this article says Dundee United will be keeping Ryan Gold. Uh, another transfer, it says that David Luiz is looking for a move from Stamford Bridge this January with Barca. And Barca is very keen on bringing him to the new camp and... It is understood that a bid of twenty-five million pounds will be enough to tempt the London club into a sale this January. If I was Chelsea, I would keep this dude. But I mean, even I would, I could say, hey, get rid of him, and it will give Manu a chance to catch up with him in the tables. But we're not going to catch up with you anyway. So do what you want to do. I would keep him. You could always use a David Luiz. I wouldn't strengthen Barca. It's just amazing and kind of balances out football, that Barca has defensive problems. So I wouldn't sell them anything to help them. They're going to be one of the teams you're always going to try or it's going to be in your way that you need to beat. So I wouldn't sell them shit. Not a David Luiz especially. Number 
eight on this list of possible transfers is Gundogan to Man United. And Gundogan, I hope I'm saying his name right, he's from Borussia Dortmund. And with Manchester United having their worst start to a Premier League in years, it is very likely that they will look to invest heavily on new players this January. And this is one of the dudes. And But the problem is Real Madrid are also after this Dortmund star. And they are set to battle it out with Manu. And uh, we haven't and probably can't beat Real Madrid on the field. But hopefully we can beat them in the transfer window off the field. Another one of the most shocking deals that could happen this January is Alex Song to Man United. Uh, this one could really be a shocker this January. With Alex Song previously playing for Man U's rival, Arsenal, there is no doubt that Alex Song is a very talented and a very good buy for the Manchester United club. I would like him there, but we got players like him. Like, Song is good. He's a good short passer. And I guess he can be creative, but he's not. I would like him there, but if we need somebody else with him who's also creative because that would enhance him. I, you know, like, I don't think he's Yaya Torre. I don't think he's, because Yaya Torre was a different player at Barca than he was or has become at Man City. And I, and I would hope if Song, Song came to Man U, he could be more attacking and creative than I could have imagined. But uh, he, he's not he's not bad, but he's not, he's no Ozil. He's no David Silva. He's not a lot of people that are considered attacking creative midfielders. But. He's a he's an he's a slight improvement, but man, you needs more than a slight improvement. So if we do get him, I hope we get somebody else with him. We got a ton of useless midfielders right now, and they're useless because they all play the same way. They're all defensive. Uh, this would hurt. This the number six trade or January deal that could happen. Paul Pogba to Man City. If Paul Pogba is gonna go anywhere. I would hope he would come to Man U. But Paul Pogba has shone in the Serie A and, uh, since his move from Man United and has been described as the one that got away. Yeah, of course. And this would be a huge insult if Man City pulled this deal off in January. And I hope they don't. I like this guy. I don't want to have to root against him and like him while I root against him. I hate having mixed feelings with somebody. So, man, you should try to get him back. I know they'll be paying more than what they got rid of him for, but he's worth it. Don't let Man City sign this deal. Mario Balotelli to Chelsea is number five of the most shocking deals that could go down this January. Jose Mourinho has worked with Mario Balotelli before, and reports are linking a possible reunion at Stamford Bridge. This January, it is understood that Mario Balotelli wants to leave AC Milan this January. Will Mario take on the Premier League again? He'll probably, I can see him doing this. He's a winner. He wants to win. And then he could go back there. And if there's any more games against uh, Man City left, like uh, rub this shit in his face, in Man City's face and beat them. So I can see this is a possibility. Number four. One of the most shocking deals that could happen this January. This one also involves Chelsea. It is understood that Jose Mourinho is looking to part company with Chelsea star trio. Fernando Torres, Denver Barr, and Samuel Eto'o. 
having become increasingly frustrated with their lack of goals. This could prove to be a controversial move if Mourinho does decide to sell them at all. Well, not if he gets Balotelli. Then it won't be controversial at all. Everybody will understand this. I think he should keep Torres. Torres had a devastating move today that he pulled. It wasn't a premiership team, but he does these things where he can get around players. He bites off a little bit more than he can chew. There's an extra player that he can't beat that gets the ball away from him. But, well, you know my theory. Just let him keep playing and he'll increase tremendously based on confidence. But Mourinho doesn't have no patience for that. Now, this this ain't going to happen. Luis Suarez to Real Madrid. Uh, Luis Suarez has signed a big deal at Liverpool to keep him at Anfield for another four years. However, there is a very big clause in his contract around £100,000,000. If a non-Premier League club makes a move, he is allowed to leave. Real Madrid and Bayern Munich have previously been interested in him. But £100,000,000 could prove to be too much for the star striker. Definitely too much. We already got two, two basically 100 million pound players at Real Madrid. We don't need a Luis Suarez. And Luis Suarez probably won't be better than Neymar. So why, and you already have Messi. They're both young. You don't need to spend 100 million dollars on Luis Suarez if you're a boss or all Real Madrid. You know, and you got, especially Madrid, we got young players coming up. And then this weekend, Alexis Sanchez and Pedro scoring and Cesc. Barca started the game against Elche without Neymar and without Messi, and they ended up scoring four goals. You don't need to spend £100 million for Luis Suarez, uh, unless somebody with Arab money scoops him up and puts him in their league. Now, this is a crazy one. Manchester United get Falco. Uh, this is a very optimistic transfer that could come off this January. However, this is why it's called the list of shocking transfers that could come off this January. Because this is too shocking to be even on a shocking list. This ain't going to happen. This transfer would only ever happen if Rooney or Robin Van Persie left Man United this January. True. And before they left, this dude would have to be guaranteed to be coming there. Falco is a brilliant player and would be a huge transfer for Man United. And he'd look crazy for going to France and then leaving within the same year. So, listen, crazy things happen in football. I just don't think this is going to be one of them. And the number one shocking deal that could go down this January is, (laughs) this is funny, Uh, Robin Van Persie to Barcelona. According to some sources around Europe, Recently, it's understood that Barcelona are rare preparing a move for Robin Van Persie this January. However, this does not seem a very this does seem a very unrealistic move and a very big one to happen in January following Man United's poor start to the season. This could be a massive blow. Hell yeah! So, I hope this one definitely doesn't go down. Only if we get Falco, which would be crazy. And then to add to the craziness, we sell. Van Persie to Barca. And uh, Barca doesn't even need another forward. Barca needs to focus on defenders. So for them to be buying or looking at Van Persie, it's just bananas. Like they, like I said, they score. They can get goals from everywhere. What they don't have is defenders. So Barca just likes, they're superficial. They just like pretty girls. Focus, Barca.
And why is Man U involved in so many shocking trade rumors and deals, especially for a coach that doesn't even think that he's going to make any significant moves through this transfer window because he doesn't believe in himself. So that's this is pretty hilarious. So it's 2014. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, everybody, for reposting the last episode of the year last year, 2013 episode. It got reposted like 48 times. Keep it up. Keep reposting. Keep listening. Keep passing this this episode around. On all the episodes around. I appreciate everybody who listens and talks about it. If you got any questions, want to ask me anything about soccer, uh, just hit me in the inbox on uh, SoundCloud. And uh, let's make this a good year, y'all. This is a World Cup year. It's going to be a great soccer things. Peace one more time to Yusebo. You were the real deal. And uh, get at me on Twitter at Ian Edwards Comic. And also, if anybody's in Los Angeles and they want to come check out any shows, holler at me on Twitter again. I can get you in at the Comedy Store. I'm there most weekends, Friday and Saturday. So holler. They got some good shows, great lineups, uh, a lot of comics that are doing things and up-and-coming comics that are about to do things. And it's a crazy, weird, bananas atmosphere. Something to experience. All right? One.